part four of the Night Circus on Shark Liver Oil. Welcome, one and all. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. Hello. And it's time for part four of the Night Circus. Yes, rocking it up. I, you, if you'd have, if you'd have asked me to think up theme music for the Night Circus, I think it would have been that. Actually, you, you read my mind. No, there's a reason why I've just put a bit, a bit of a slice of rock in there for you, Dave. But and it is that. Do you know who this band is? I've no idea. No, it's a band called the Nightmare Circus. The Nightmare Circus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, I just I just came across them last night as I was doing a bit of... Uh, I was looking for some reviews and uh, looking on Twitter and stuff as well. And uh, yeah, they're from, they, 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 they're from Redditch and uh, they're from a new from band. Redditch? Yeah. My, and, my old stomping ground, no less. Yeah. I don't think Aaron Morgan Stone is a particular inspiration for him, but you never know. Um, <laughs> I, we'll, we'll try and get in touch with them and see, see if they do have anything to say about the night circus but yeah, um, that would be great let's send them an email yeah but it but it yeah it's pretty good and if you actually want to hear more um of the nightmare circus give them let's give them a shout out um you can go on uh the best way to find them is either look for the nightmare circus on twitter or go to www.reverbnation.com and then forward slash the nightmare circus and cool. they've got th- three of the songs are up there um the one we've just played is is called taste the blood um but oh yeah. yes but um but yeah get on there and uh if you if you like what you heard then that little bit of rock so a bit, bit of it again oh yeah rock yeah then uh then get on there and give them a try okay to business the fun, business fun's, up, fun's over it's time to open the night circus. <laughs> Is that, you're trying to tell me something about how much you enjoyed the last bit of the night circus. The fun's over. Let's go to the book. No, I'm being deliberately unfair for comedy value there. Um, oh, it's hard <clears> to tell. <throat> okay, so shall we uh, shall we dive straight into? Oh, a bit, bit, little bit of housekeeping before we start. Um, obviously, if you're coming to this for the first time. Um, this is it's kind of a the, the way we describe it is a sort of laid back online book club really I suppose uh, what we do is we take a book go through it sort of page by page almost and just go through what we like what we don't like about the book the characters blah de, blah de, blah and uh, this time we're doing the night circus and this is our fourth fourth part so if this is the first one you're listening to what are you doing? Go back, listen to parts <laughs> one to three first, because this isn't going to make a whole lot of sense if you don't. Yeah. Okay. If nothing else, they're going to wonder why we're being so unaccountably savage towards uh, <laughs> towards such an innocent little book. Maybe Aww. is that maybe that's just me. Is that just me? Well, it's funny. My my brother was listening to one of the earlier casts this week and said that Matt, I get the impression that you like this book much more than day. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, he's an insightful man, I think. I didn't. I, again, disclaimer. I didn't. I didn't hate this book. There were yeah. big problems with it, but I thought it had some stuff that was really extraordinary. Right. Um, but yeah, so Ollie, I'm not a hater. I'm a disliker. <laughs> yeah. This is more sort of suburban version of a hater. Yeah. 
Okay, let's get into it. So the night nice, uh, part four is called Incendiary. Yeah, you know it. So so it's a it's a clue that things are. I mean, we're getting to the the dramatic climax of the book now, yeah. and uh, it starts with a little quote from Frederick Thiessen again, who's the clockmaker. Who's now who, dead? Who's now dead? And actually, um, it was a little. Uh, Moving to, to to see his writing again after he died, and uh, oh, and him talking true. about how he how he believes that there are areas of the circus that he still hasn't explored, um, and he says uh, you know corners that remain unexplored, tents that remain unopened, and it's quite striking that for him you know that that will be that way forever now. Um, those tents will always remain unopened for him. And, yeah, uh, I also thought that uh, the. The night circus theory is kind of like, it's kind of that. That's kind of sometimes how I feel about life. That there's so many great things to find out about, and you, you always feel there's there's something that you you're going to miss. And maybe that's a comment on how um, comfortable an existence someone in a Western society has these these days. But I don't know. That's that's that was my thought on it. I think that's true, but you know, you're not alone in feeling that way. And and I think it comes from a place that's actually brilliant. And 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 is one of the things that Night Circus is really good at capturing as a book, is that the world is an astonishing place. Mm. I'm with Fred on this one. The world's astonishing, yeah. then you get killed. Yeah, it's kind <laughs> of the opposite, yeah. It's kind of the opposite approach to life's a bitch and then you die, isn't it? Life's a bitch and then you die. Life's astonishing! And then, and then you die. Uh, <laughs> a, a, a Svengali slash knife thrower who's had his mind toyed with by two generations of magicians accidentally <laughs> kills you with a throwing knife. Yeah, exactly. Doesn't Let's quite fit as well on a t-shirt, though, it has to be said. <laughs> Let's move on to technicalities. So we, technicalities. We, we, go right, yeah, we go right back to Celia and, to Celia and Marco uh, in this room after, you know, the morning after the night before. Uh, Celia nicks Marco's book, and uh, as she's leaving his flat, uh, she bumps into a dear old man, Prospero, who's obviously pissed off at her for, for the new turn of events. He accuses her of being weak. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and You've shown out... human kindness. What the hell's <laughs> the matter with you? And we find out that Susiko, um, the contortionist at the circus, she was the last winner of this competition. <sighs> mm. yeah. So yeah. she's she's ancient, because that contest went on for 37 years or something, didn't it? Yeah. So, because she looks, she, she looks sort of in her thirties, doesn't she, or in her late twenties, according like to that. something like that. Yeah. So yeah, so there's something. A little, I mean, you always got the impression there was something unusual about her, seeing as she could <laughs> squeeze herself into a tiny box. I was going to say that she can make herself the size of a shoebox. Yeah, that's troubling. But, but apparently, there are real people who can do that. So really, um, I, I can't get my head around that at all. That's mental, isn't it? I don't know. We live in an age of CGI, so I just assume that it's a trick. <laughs> Imagine actually living in the age where you're like, you know, TV was a myth, and you go to the circus and you actually see what appears to be somebody with like a face that turns inside out, or yeah, just, or whatever just, it is. Just, just just move to Cornwall, Dave. You've uh, got all of that. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. <laughs> big words that was for a Lancashire such a boy. <laughs> 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 Sorry for anybody from Cornwall who's listening. <laughs> no, um, you're not. You <laughs> lie. <laughs> right. Um, next up, playing with fire. Um, this is a, another tent that we were introduced to. 
And Dave, if you were worried about the the wishing tree um, as a fire hazard, then you must have been freaking out by this point. Because <laughs> in playing with fire in inside the tent, there's fire everywhere. There are torches, flaming hoops. People are screwing around with it on their hands. But yeah, I mean, I my first impression was, wow, that would be amazing. Yeah. But I suppose if you if you got a, an issue with things going up in flames, it might be slightly more worrying than wonderful. Well, my concern was with the tree was I, maybe I was clinging too much to reality. This didn't bother me half as much. I was like, <laughs> I, all right, flame sculpting, is it? All right, carry on. <laughs> I'd, I'd lost the wonder, I have to say, at this point. Whatever childlike wonder once lurked in my heart. Right. <laughs> okay, well, uh, next up, there's a chapter where I'm not going to try and pronounce the name of the chapter. Oh, Matt, <laughs> give it a crack. Go on. Have you have you found out what it is? I think it's Susiko's name. I think that's why it's why it's that oh. way because she's Japanese, isn't she? Yeah. Mm. I think it's Susiko. In that case, Cause... I'll have a go at pronouncing it. Susiko. <laughs> it, Isabel and Susiko are in this room. Isabel's crying because I think it's the sort of post breakup. Celia arrives. We get this kind of awkward moment between the three of them. And Isabel leaves, and uh, Celia wants to chat with Sasiko about, you know, how Sasiko well, was the last person to actually take part in one of these competitions and win. And I don't know, Sasiko, I find her quite tiresome. What do you think? Because she, she's always really evasive, and it takes yeah. forever to get any kind of answer out of her. And she's a bit condescending as well. I suppose she is. She is ninety, but yeah, <laughs> yeah as a pensioner, she's probably earned the right. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe she's just sort of a an avatar for a general level of frustration with the fact that that's how the whole plot unfolds, isn't it? There's somebody who could mm. very easily explain something to a character and it would make a lot of sense for them to do so. But instead, what you get is cryptic sentence, puzzled mm. question, further cryptic sentence, additional puzzled question, cryptic sentence, abrupt departure. Yeah. And, and yeah, so... I felt the same, but that wasn't that wasn't new at this point. Seiko questions Celia's assertion that they're in love, and she wonders whether Marco actually does love her, considering mm-hmm. how he's treated Isabel and, to a lesser extent, Chandresh. Yeah, which is a, which is a, obviously an interesting question, and it does affect Celia because she comes back to this later when she's speaking to Marco. Yeah, um, and we we also find out that uh, that's about what happened in well a, a bit about what happened in Sasiko's competition in her mm. version of the night circus Celia asks what happened to her opponents and she says my opponent is now a pillar of ash standing in a field in Kyoto unless wind and time have taken her away I would be terrified <laughs> it would be you know what happened to your childhood best friend yeah, he's a small pile of bones outside Basingstoke. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Yeah. Like, it's like the fucking Shining. That's not all right <laughs> at all. And, and of course, the uh, the interesting thing here is if we look at what Widget um, saw um, in a, a story, in the, the story that Widget told a few chapters mm. back with the magician and the beautiful woman, and the magician ends up turning into a tree because he teaches his secrets to the beautiful woman. 
and this is so we think because at first i thought and i mentioned before i wonder if that was sort of a, a premonition to what's going to happen between marco and celia but mm. now we find out that it, it has happened before with mm. with Susiko. the the whole kind of Susiko thing like i again i wanted more of it like i thought that was really fascinating like it went on for 37 years mm. was it the same yeah. was there a circus has this happened before or was it something else yeah, it would have um, been nice to find out. Yeah, more. I just, I, I, that, that felt like oh, I want to know more about that. I want, I want that chat. I want that to be a chapter. I want that to be a flashback. Yeah. Okay, but we don't find out more about that. Instead, we jump forward. You know, so it's coming. It, is, is it Bailey? It's Bailey time. Yeah. It's Bailey time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We back. need some. We need some music for that. We need. Uh, Yeah, Bailey, woo! <laughs> um, yeah, so back to Bailey. I mean, when, when we last left Bailey, we were um, simultaneously relieved and horrified that uh, he hadn't made it to the circus. Relieved because maybe we wouldn't have to read about Bailey anymore. Horrified in that this may be the climax to many, many chapters of wasting our time. And is that <laughs> many it, chapters basically? Of hanging around in New England. <laughs> to no discernible yeah. purpose actually uh, i i tell you what i noticed here which i i i, I actually only noticed this when i kind of revisited it yeah. was this chapter's called escapement yeah which is the name for like a for a, a mechanical component of a clock oh interesting well, you know, i thought it was quite interesting because you know you just had the clockmaker die well as we will find out bailey kind of becomes the ultimate dreamer as such mm. um uh, at the end of the thing and um, uh, and so I thought that was quite an interesting one, like trying to set up a parallel between Bailey and um, Frederick Teese and the clockmaker. Yeah, and also um, the the way Bailey manages to find the circus through this collection, through this dreamers group, um, mm. which it, you know, which was set up by Frederick the Essence. So yeah, yeah, it's all it's all connected, isn't it? Yeah. That was nicely done. Um, so that so that is what happens. Bailey um, obviously loses the circus. It disappears before he can get to it. But um, he meets some of these rivers. And beautiful. Uh, we don't yeah, even need you. me to be the official mangler of the French language on this podcast. I think you've got it down. <laughs> you taught me well. And um, absolutely. Yeah. So, so, so he enlists their help to track mm. the circus down because you know that's what they do. And um, the. I the impression I got of this group of this group is that um, they're actually I was quite pl- pleasantly surprised that they were really nice and yeah. not insular and very excited to share their love for the circus with other people because yeah. I think there are two kinds of groups like this aren't there there are this kind and there's the very insular cliquey kind of group which kind of yeah. sneers at anybody else who isn't part of of their the select organization yeah. and it was yeah. nice to see um erin morgenstern go down the, the the former rather than the latter here yeah and we um i think we said this before didn't we that the like the the whole dreamers strand is quite a nice image of like how community can kind of spring up and revolve around works of art yeah. Um, and how that's that's a really beautiful thing that the you know the the work of art itself you know kind of gains an extra dimension or two because of the relationships that are kind of fostered by it and form around it. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah. So I think that's yeah. This is really nice. This is a bunch of people who are like, who's this kid? I don't know. Anyway, so we've got a hotel room set up for him. 
and yeah. uh, here's some clothes and take some money and we're going to take you to wherever it is that they see Europe. Do they do they cross the ocean or is it still in the US? I think they. Uh, um, yeah, I think they end up in Paris for a while and then so, they go. Out yeah. And so, run back to anyway, Europe. I mean, so this this child is just kind of welcomed into the fold, and there's something incredibly. Um, yeah, there's something really lovely about that. Yeah, um, and it's also nice to see that you know Frederick, Frederick the Essen does live on, you know, um, and his legacy is this group of people. Yeah. So, and they all obviously talk about him and say that he set it up, and um, it's nice. I, I thought that was nice to see that beyond um, his life, he, he has he has left something of that, that I'm sure he would consider um, of, of value as well, which is good. So he wasn't senselessly murdered in vain. Well, he was senselessly murdered, but yeah. <laughs> but he left something good behind him. Next up is Impasse. And uh, this is, we find out what Celia is up to now. Um, she's uh, she's going to try to make the circus self-sufficient somehow. Because she mm. doesn't want the to be responsible for the circus crashing down and, and ending and all these people's lives being affected by it mm. um, when one of them wins or loses. Mm. So she's going to try and make the circus self-sufficient and then effectively commit suicide. Um, remove, yeah. She says remove herself from the game so, um, so Marco doesn't have to. And yeah. there's this scene between the two. Um, we find out that Celia isn't sure about marco's intentions anyway she's not she's got these doubts about whether he does actually love her and uh and marco convinced tries to convince her otherwise but it ends mm. with them effectively she effectively pushes him away and says you know this is this is what i'm gonna have to do what do you think of this i i, I cheered aloud for some clear thinking mm -hmm. um because so it's become clear i'm not a marco fan i'm not on team marco I'm on mm -hmm. team, you're better off alone, love. Um, <laughs> and so to see, you know, this kind of, this compassion. So it's interesting mm -hmm. that, you know, you can say that Marco is the way he is because he was neglected throughout childhood and he's been used as a pawn in this hideous game of mm -hmm. ego between these two kind of shadowy figures. Um, and it's turned him into something of a monster, whereas it seems that Celia, who has been just as poorly treated and indeed far more actively abused, the Marco mm. has it seems to have made her quite compassionate because in this moment her response is to be like no all of these people they depend on this setting I yeah. can't you know I can't be a part of just destroying them because because we've seen throughout the book that they are in, increasingly intrinsically linked to one another mm. um, and so she's aware of and cares about and does something to prevent the kind of catastrophe that would otherwise come um, I think it's also worth saying, just one more time, honestly, how much of a wanker is Prospero and how much of a wanker is Mr. A.H. such that <laughs> they've established this thing where it's not just endangering the lives of their two children, mind you. Yeah. No, no, no. Just the lives of, of everybody else. Pawns, really. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's interesting how um, I think Marco and Prospero are, are quite similar in many ways. Ooh, Marco... I hadn't thought of that, yeah. Marco has this kind of disdain for other people as well in, in how he um, 
you know, comfortably uh, misdirects people all the time. And you get the impression that the only person he really cares about is Celia. There is, if the if the circus did come crashing down, he wouldn't see it as a massive. Uh, they wouldn't see it as this, yeah. this massive deal that Celia does, yeah. and I, I sometimes I think maybe Celia's it, it's all about black and white the Night Circus, isn't it? And I get yeah. a feeling Celia is more the white and Marco the black. Oh, Matt, I agree with you. I actually think that's that's really good and insightful. And I hadn't thought of that. It does raise more questions for me about what happens shortly, mm. and the the resolution which does come to the book, which kind of doesn't. It doesn't maintain that kind of black-white, uh, you know, in terms of tone, in terms of characterization. You know, it gets a bit more muted, I think, as things go on. Next up is Visitations. This is Celia in her library, mm. uh, in, well, in where she's working. Um, mm. And it's her and her dad, Prospero, mm. give, you know, once again... Shows how much of a wanker he is. He uh, shows how that's exactly the right tone of voice to say that in as well. Can I say? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. He does, doesn't care about the people involved in the circus. He says that's just part of the challenge. Yeah, Celia ends up saying, "I hate you," which is uh, quite a fundamental break with her dad. Really, I suppose she eighty-one percent into the book, she finally shows a little bit of attitude for having been <laughs> utterly mangled. And yeah. her whole life turned into a, a rather dull game of chess. Yeah. We also have um, uh, another visitation. Marco and uh, the grey, the man in the grey suit meet up, A.H. And um, he, Miss, Mr. A.H. confirms that, yes, for, for Marco to win, Celia must must die. Mm. So um, all Marco's worries and fears uh, are confirmed there. The next bit is charming but deadly. So this is another tent that we visit, and this is it's two snakes, which sort of it's like a snake charmed tent, and the, these two snakes dance with each other, and they white and they quite move, you know, they're quite affecting and uh, mesmerizing, and it turns into a fight, and they turn black. Okay, let, let's let's up the uh, up the pace a bit. Um, precognition, the next chapter, basically mm. Poppet and Widget are worried about Bailey not turning up. And they um, they think that something a, a big opportunity has been missed here, and mm. that maybe um, you know something's gone wrong because Bailey should have should have made it and he hasn't done. Mm. And and also uh, Poppet uh, has this premonition about fire at the circus, which mm. gives a bit of foreboding. Although there's full fire already in the circus, isn't there? Yeah, but I mean, I think this this premonition is the whole bloody thing going up in flames. So it's uh, out of control fire. Next bit, pursuit. Um, we're back with Bailey, mm. and uh, as he's chasing the uh, the circus, he makes it to the circus, and mm. um, and it's closed. One of the other sort of uh, one of the other dreamers says says to him that oh yeah, there was this massive crash in the night, and a flash, and there's loads of smoke over the circus, mm. and it makes us think, uh oh something may have happened and we haven't been there to see it nope but we that, would be quite, we that would be a bit of a kick in the teeth wouldn't it if there was this massive dram- dramatic crescendo and uh, and and it happened overnight and we <laughs> for some reason saw it through the eyes of bailey and all it was was <laughs> bailey turned up at the scorched earth where the night circus had once stood well <laughs> shit he said <laughs> the yeah, end that would have been that would have been shit uh okay <laughs> Uh, we move on to old ghosts. Um, this is Isabella Marco, 
so this is outside uh, Marco's flat. Uh, is it in London? I think it's in London. And uh, Isabel comes over for a little chat and they have this... Awkward! Pretty, yeah, awkward and sad conversation about yeah. what happened to their relationship. And in the end, she she talks about how it's all about timing and that she effectively says Bailey could have could have saved him and Celia, and mm. and the, there could have been a way for this all to turn out okay, but that that chance has passed. And then mm. she blows ash into Marco's face and effectively teleports him somewhere. Yeah, I I quite like that because it is a bit of Marco getting getting a bit of his own. Yeah. Um. Uh. Because he, you know, he's just casually and without any question that anybody could possibly be as powerful as he is, just done this sort of thing to other people. Yeah. Um. So I, you know, as as much as I think, sorcery is not the way to get over your relationship problems. <laughs> this was quite a satisfying scene. Yeah, especially as well as considering that his response to what Isabel's saying is pretty much just a shrug of the shoulders, saying, "Well, you know, it is what it is." Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So we move on to aftermath, and my immediate thought there was, "Oh, come on, we've got to see what happens. We can't just look at what happened after." Yeah. But anyway, um, this is back with Bailey. Mm. So Bailey's getting even more um, page time now. Mm. Uh, he he breaks into the night circus once again, like he did all those years ago. Uh, this time, he uh, sees. Uh, Sosiko, uh, there's a conversation which I, I, I haven't noted down, but it, it goes along the lines of Bailey says, You know what's happened, don't you? Sosiko says, Yeah, I do. And Bailey says, Are you going to tell me? And she says, No, I won't. And I was just thought at this point, I thought, oh, For fuck's sake. Just... <laughs> yes. <laughs> that that conversation is in microcosm, the conversation that you have been having with Erin Morgenstern since the start of the book. Erin, what's going on? I can tell I you. <laughs> you. You're going to tell me? No. <laughs> Why not? Why? Why must you do this? Why? Why? <laughs> Erin, that's all I'm asking for is a crumb <laughs> of plot. <clears throat> okay. Let's move on to Incendiary. The, the name of the part, and this is the chapter. Mm. It's all about... Uh, Marco and Sasiko really at the start mm. it turns this basically what's happening here is um Sasiko is going to step in now she's had enough of this competition um and for reasons best known to herself she can't be bothered with it anymore she's going to step in and end it and the way Dangerous. she's going to do it is turn effectively turn Marco into the bonfire he's going to become the fire um which will which will trap him which will mean he can't continue, which will mean Celia wins. And the reason she, she's going to get rid of Marco is because Celia is more important for keeping the circus together. She wants to keep the circus together here as a Seiko. She's tried to let Celia do it herself and find a way of doing it. She hasn't managed to, so this is the point where Seiko is going to step in. But Celia interrupts. She comes across it before it ends. Again, I suppose, showing good timing. Um, and just as Sasiko decides to do this black magic, whatever it is, to turn Marco into the fire, mm. Celia jumps into his arms and they both, both of them uh, kind of 
turned moved onto a different reality and basically what ha- we see what happens in the next chapter transmutation which explains what's happened to marco and celia now marco and celia end up effectively almost as ghosts mm. uh, with with celia trying still trying to hold the whole circus together and she's managing to do it but she's not going to be able to hold on for much longer mm. dave the circus needs a caretaker is there anyone in this book <laughs> Maybe someone who up to now has been practically useless and done almost nothing of any, any importance <laughs> that could maybe step in at this vital moment and become the caretaker. There's only one name on everybody's <laughs> lips. This is the deal with Bailey. Hang on, mark it. 89% of the way into the book. <laughs> okay. It's suspended. This is where Bailey steps up to the mark. This is where he... This is where he bees all he can be, as they say. Um, Bailey is asked to take over the circus mm. um, in what was probably the biggest piece of emotional blackmail I've ever seen because he is given a choice. <laughs> Celia says, um, you know, I don't want it to be like what's happened to, 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 to us. Bailey, you need to make the choice yourself. Do you want to take this responsibility on? Um, and... Also, at the same time, um, they're both standing there looking absolutely desperate. It's obvious that something dreadful but unspecified is going to happen to them if Bailey says no. And also, everybody in the circus is going to be negatively affected, possibly to the point of death. So, Bailey, do you want to take all that on or would you like to walk away and uh, have everybody, you know... <laughs> have the, Basically, what I'm trying to say is the responsibility is on him whether he likes it or not now anyway. There is yeah. no choice. Because yeah. if he decides to walk away, it's his fault that everything comes crashing down anyway. Yeah, yeah it, it, was, it was pretty spectacular, wasn't it? It was, mm. it was, you know, it comes down to, look, you've got a choice. You can let everybody die or you can uh, carry on and do this. Mm. Um, yeah. But it's, it's up to you. Completely up to you. Are you going to do it? Are you? Out of the goodness of your heart. <laughs> um, the, the, the passage I quite liked was, um, again, there are bits of this book where I think it's, it's just so well written and... Um, mm. And I sometimes feel like, you know, I'm in one room and there's a brilliant party going on next door. And I think if, if I'd have been more invested, if I could have been more invested in it, this would be the point where I'm thinking this is the best book I've ever read. Because it's this bit of writing that I, I particularly like was um, his choice was made when he was 10 years old under a different tree, bound up in acorns and dares and a single white glove. He will always choose the circus, which I thought was really nice. And yeah. Like I say, I would have, had I been really into the book by this stage, it would have been the sort of cherry on the cake and it would have been fantastic. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I wasn't as, I wasn't bothered enough for it to, to really move me. Um, and I get the impression yeah. it was similar to, to what you thought. Yeah, I I acknowledge it. I mean, I think this is a big moment. And Bailey hasn't been like badly sketched or anything there's just been too long a build-up for something quite small i think Mm. um but you know he's still he's a good kid and so this idea of somebody you know it's a kind of because this is a this is at the point he's 18 years old you know he's moving from childhood to adulthood and so on um Mm. and the idea of at that point making a decision that defines the rest of the rest of your life Mm. um 
I, I, I think that's huge. I think there's something really beautiful in somebody making a decision of that sort. Mm, now, when when Bailey does accept this and take the job on, um, Marco ties him into it. He says, "Right, well, best make this official," and he um, he pass, sort of basically passes the ring over to to Bailey to to, yeah. to to tie his fate to the circus. Um, so there's no real trust in in that Bailey's going to go through with it. You feel that Marco did this to make sure that Bailey couldn't change his mind, um, which seems like a bit of a predatory thing to do, close the deal and make sure he can't go back. That was quite striking because, um, like, you would think, wouldn't you, that knowing that he's been, that his whole enslavement, his whole life, Marco, has revolved around one of these rings, you would think that he would be like, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I'm, I'm Maybe I'm just going to trust him. Maybe that's what I needed all those years ago. Um, the, the second lighting of the bonfire. This is basically the chapter where Bailey relights the bonfire and all is well. Mm. And uh, Sasiko, um, as she's leading him back to the bonfire, comes out with a quote which resonated with me because it was almost like Dave was being channeled through the book <laughs> when Sasiko turns to Bailey and says, I am not terribly invested in the outcome. <laughs> I just thought, Dave? I'm, it's like you're in the <laughs> room, Dave, you? with me. Matt, I've got something <laughs> to tell you. I'm actually a magical Japanese contortionist. Um, and I've been alive since at least 1800. <laughs> oh, something we didn't mention about Sasiko, which I do think is really cool, is that um, she was taught by A.H. She was she had the same teacher as Marco. Mm. So, um, Which means, in the last... Well, obviously, because as we heard all the way back at the start of the book... Um, Prospero lost the last competition to mm. um, AH, and uh, she was his person. And she got she got sick and tired of writing um, and drawing the the trees and the diagrams out in a book. So she ended up doing it on her skin, and that's what all her tattoos are. Which is uh, kind of cool. That's interesting. Yeah, a I risky like that, play isn't though, isn't it? What if you need to write a new one? Well, she's true. <laughs> Do yeah. you go and get them surgically removed. Yeah, it's the it's the greatest example of of tattooing plots since. Have you ever have you ever seen Prison Break? <laughs> no, <laughs> but I'm, I mean? I'm familiar with the reference. Well, yeah, basically, um, if for anyone who hasn't seen it, this guy gets sent to prison. His brother tries to break him out, and um, and part of the plot is that the brother carries the plans for the prison, you know, the blueprints for the prison into it. Um, and instead of you know sticking on a piece of paper and shoving it up his ass, he um, <laughs> he tattoos it all onto his body. <laughs> so he tattoos like the blueprint to a prison. It's all hidden as different images and stuff. And the way that the um, the way that the show gets you to see that the diagrams are on him is that it sort of CGI's it into like you see these normal tattoos. It looks like a collection of tattoos. And then the, it changes. It changes so you can see that it's a prison blueprint. But it, the problem is, it literally changes. So it's like his his tattoos have changed form in the prison. It didn't make any sense at all. <laughs> it was one of many plot holes in Prison Break. Prison Break's good fun, but um, yeah. don't go expecting a watertight plot. You have to suspend your disbelief almost entirely. Let's move on to divination. <laughs> let's let's move on to divination. The final part. There's there's not enough of it to do a, a custard on its own, so we're going to tack it on to the end of uh, part four. Mm. Um, we get uh, another little bit from uh, Frederick Thiessen, 
I like this idea which he comes up with that he doesn't see himself as a writer. He sees himself as providing a gateway to the circus for other people. I get the feeling that this is maybe what Erin Morgenstern thinks about herself as well. And I loved it because it does... I got that impression reading it, especially the bits where it's told... Um, as you know, like we said, like a choose your own adventure where you're in the circus. Mm. It felt like I was being immersed in a world. She did that extremely effectively, yeah. and um, it's just reflected here in uh, in Frederick Thiessen's writing as well. Yeah, no kidding. And and I think that's I really like that. I thought that was a really nice little note because, you know, for all that I have struggled with the plot, again, the evocation of it is spectacular, mm. and. Um, and and I, there's a nice humility in that as well. Instead of writers being like kind of, I create your world, mm. it's more collaborative. Um, in Fates Foretold, it's basically Isabel's tent, the fortune teller. Mm. Um, so we experience um, we experience that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a blueprints, which is, uh, we find out Chandresh has kind of got his mojo back now. He's designing things again. He's all excited about the circus again. Uh, Poppet arrives and uh, and she sort of gets involved with some of the design again. So she's effectively taken over from Celia in mm. that sense. Um, and she's sort of keeping the flame alive. And uh, then we move into stories. And this is a conversation between Widget and uh, the man in the grey suit. Um, and there's some really nice uh, ideas kicked around here about stories and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, how storytelling has changed and things like that and uh in the end widget effectively buys the rights to the circus or the ownership of the circus off the man in the gray suit Mm. um by telling him a story he pays for it by telling him the story of the circus from widget's point of view and um ah doesn't want to at first is reluctant to give it over because he says he thinks maybe it's better to let this go now. Yeah. That the um, that keeping it going maybe isn't the best idea in the world. It's difficult and the responsibility and, you know, where is it going to end and things like that. Mm. But Widget decides that, you know, it's worth trying, it's worth doing. And even though everybody who wants to do it um, are much younger and, uh, you know, maybe less experienced, that this is the choice they want to make. Mm. What did you think about this part? I thought it was good, but it was very, very, very difficult for me to really feel like it was anything other than um, than a kind of exercise in tying tying up loose ends. It was good. I mean, I was glad it was there, um, but it, there was more. I feel like there was more you could have brought out of it if I'd really understood what had happened. There's just a, a passage that I'd like to uh, highlight um, in it. Mm. I think it's from the, the man in the grey suit says it. He's talking about people, I think people in sort of modern um, modern Western society. Um, he said, when he describes most people, he says, most people want to believe magic is nothing but clever deception because to think it real would keep them up at night afraid of their own existence. I thought this was interesting because it's kind of the the opposite or it flips on the head the rationalist argument which is that people who believe in things that aren't proven for example like uh god or i suppose magic to a lesser extent Mm. do that because the alternative to believe that there is nothing else other than just you know 
your existence and then you die and then that's it. Yeah. Would be too frightening for them. Yeah. So it's it sort of flips that on its head and it's accused it's both both sides here are accusing each other of the same thing, which is you're believing what you believe because the alternative is too frightening for you. Yeah. And I just thought yeah. that was quite an interesting point to make. What did you think? I I also think that was quite an interesting point to make. I mean, it, the rationalist point is very extensively made. They both come from places of certainty, don't they? Like mm. the your standard issue rationalist argument comes from a place of, well, the world contains the following things and based on this evidence, I've made these decisions and looking at that and then applying people who don't believe that um, you know, kind of seeing how they fit into that worldview, I have to assume that they're too frightened of the truth. Mm. Um, and actually, that's true either way. So what this is really about is um, is certainty, because you know, the whole in the world of the book, the the magic that the grey guy and Prospero and Marco and Celia practice is real. It's just mm. nobody believes in it apart from them. Yeah. Um. So it's this thing of you know they're both talking from a place where they're like look, this is the basis on which I live my entire life. Therefore, I believe it to be true. Therefore, if you don't believe it to be true, you are cowardly or wrong. You know, that's been the, that's been the kind of uh, problem with, uh, with your sort of manic, manic street preachers, so to speak, your, your kind of, you know, mm. religious precinct uh, preachers. Yeah. Um, for, for ages, is they just yell at people about stuff they believe in, you know, and and but and in that same way, you know, over the last few years, we've seen a lot of people start to complain the same about new atheists like Richard Dawkins or um, mm. or Sam Harris. Is yeah. um, is they're just sort of going, you know, they're, they're manic street preachers. It's just their street is a bit bigger. I do think it's an interesting idea that it's, in a way, it's um, if you're not careful, being truly certain of something causes you to lose your empathy. And um, and I think AH is, is just a superb example of that. We move on to uh, Bon Rivers. <laughs> this is uh, our final visit to the circus. Yeah. And uh, we see these two statues, memorial statues. This is it's sort of the early hours of the morning now. Things are winding down at the circus. And um, we come across a memorial statue to Frederick Thiessen and a memorial statue to uh, Chandresh. Mm. who over the you know passage of a few more years has died now mm. which was i i found that quite affecting because he's such a vivid character chandresh and yeah. he's such a big larger than life guy and just to see that you know he he's he's died now and things are continuing and just yeah. you know the, the wheel keeps on turning and i always find scenes like this in books where you you pull out to such a larger sort of time scale yeah um quite affecting and and that that did it for me then yeah. um and it's, it turns out barely has taken over and he his name is now on the back of the business cards that are given out yeah and uh and that's what that's where we're where we're left where we leave it where yeah. uh, things are continuing and it, you know it's a happy ending fade up music roll mm. credits um hang, yeah uh, hang, I... on a minute, hang on a minute dave fade up music <laughs> That's it. That's that's the music I was thinking of. Not something light and based on the string section. No. Me power chords, long hair, and Taste the Blood by Nightmare Circus. Yeah. This chapter I really liked. Um, 
for the same reason. I just I like that kind of reveal. You know, you find out that it's so far after the fact because just Chandresh died in 1932, and mm. then and then you meet Bailey, and Bailey gives you a business card with an email address on the back, and you're like, oh, this has gone on for ages, and Bailey is you know however old he is, but doesn't look it. Yeah, so I I I just thought you know it's it's a fairly simple device, but I do like seeing it well executed. I agree with you actually that the, the, the this fact of Chandresh being dead is is really sad because there's something in Chandresh that was there was something far more honest in the guy. You know, he was all about showmanship yeah. and he was all about you know smoke and mirrors in his house and midnight dinners and all the rest of it. The uh, it was showmanship and it had that glint in its eye of mm. let's do something awesome. It wasn't. Um, magic, which is kind of un- seemed throughout the book to be kind of unsustainably deceitful. And Dave, and that is it. That is the end of the night circus. That is the end of the night circus. Amazing. It feels like quite a journey because it's over four casts. It's the biggest. Um, it's the biggest cast we've done. This isn't it. It and, is. Uh, but it's not all over yet because we are on Shark Live Royal. Well, let's keep it collaborative. Mm-hmm. And we like to bring in reviews from other people in the wide world of the internet. And I have a selection of reviews here. Um, I, I, take a f- I take a few of them. I try to, to go across different message boards and, uh, you know, Twitter and uh, a few different websites. Uh, one that's particularly useful, I thought it's worth just giving a shout out, is goodreads.com. Oh, nice, yeah. Which is which is a, a massive online community of people reviewing books. And... Uh, I'd I'd really recommend it to people who want to find out a bit more about any of the books we do, because you get a really good collection of reviews. And um, thanks to them for uh, putting them online, and I hope they don't mind that we're going to read a couple out. Again, there's a range of reviews from people, from uh, ranging from one to five stars. I think in, almost everybody, um, even people who like it and people who hate it, have a similar thing to say about the fact that the strength, I think there's, it's not contested that the strength is the imagery and the creation of the and circus the yeah. and the way it's described, yeah. Um, and the weakness is in the character development and the plot. And I think we've said that as well, haven't we, in no, in no uncertain terms? <laughs> well, once or twice. I mean, I like to think <laughs> I haven't laboured the point, but... <laughs> yeah, but it's, ni- it's nice to know we're not alone because most of the other people talking about it say very similar things. Yeah. Um, so let's, shall we dive straight into them? Let's... Uh, Becky, let's start off with a ropey one. Becky gave it one star. Um, yeah, she says, I really, capitals, really, capitals, hated the lapses into the second person narrative to take me inside the circus. This is the bit really? we loved. Yeah, yeah, she says, I don't well, like circuses, and I especially don't like magical, whimsical circuses <laughs> of dreams. Brackets, imagine me saying that with as much disgusted sarcasm as possible. We don't have to imagine <laughs> yeah. it. I just did it for you. You sold it as well. Jeez. <laughs> Is there some stuff you need to work through with this book, Matt? Because <laughs> I felt I, it. I, I, I liked the second person narrative, but anyway. Um, she goes on to say, I don't give two craps about the endless tents of the circus. So those parts were boring as hell for me. <laughs> so... I mean, I think she she also says that she did it as a book club and she didn't want to read it in the first place, so it probably isn't yeah. the target audience. Man, I've spent some time ragging on this book, but I didn't feel that venomous about it. I just thought it was a bit rubbish. Yeah. I I just thought certain bits of it were a bit rubbish. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, let's move on to Car- Karen gave it four stars and gives quite a considered uh, opinion about it, saying, um, I think it's most successful in terms of its mood and its atmosphere. 
This is not a novel where character development is a priority. It is and remains Le Cirque de Chèvre. Le Cirque de Chèvre. <laughs> is that right? Yeah, no? it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I'm going to do it in Northern. Hang on, I'll do, do that again. Um, it is and remains Le Cirque de Rêves. Yeah. Uh, dreams don't need to explain themselves to me. They just have to be interesting. Ah. Which is a... Uh, what, I, she sounds certainly much more in the sort of target audience for this, the kind of people who, yeah, who are already halfway out the door on a fantastical journey and just need a book to grab them by the hand and whisk them out. Expanded on that analogy, Casey, five stars, is practically on the doorstep, ready to leap out of the door as soon as the opportunity arises. <laughs> she's she's um, camping on the doorstep. <laughs> Louis, two star, I'm afraid, and he says... As Marco says on page 269, I don't fully understand the point. <laughs> <laughs> this is fair enough. <laughs> Nicely summed up. Um, Jay. I'm is that all he wrote? Star... Well, he wrote more, but I thought that would be enough for it's me. Just, is that an accurate summary of his sentiment? Right. To be honest, the only other thing he said is that I didn't get this book and really struggled to finish it. But I thought that cheapened his point. I think the best thing to do would have for him just to <laughs> just leave it at that. Quote Marco and leave. <laughs> How about this for a review from Jay? Right. If you enjoy a well-written, well-constructed, gripping mystery, avoid this book. Oh, oh the classic. <laughs> the old switcheroo. Classic. It's like that. Um, oh, the, uh, the, the Alan Partridge book. <laughs> your son has failed at not failing his A-levels they seem confused for a couple of seconds <laughs> is that, I think that is just before um, uh, Alan Partridge and his dad treats, treats Norfolk to one of the first high fives it's ever seen and if I was in the same place as what was his name uh, Jay Jay Jay, if you yeah. and me were in the same place, regardless of whether or not it was a fresh idea, I would high-five you. Damn right. Damn right. True. True that. Um, okay, uh, the next one. I think this cat gave it four stars, and she's quite good for... I think this is what most people feel about the book, just this conflicted nature of really liking parts of it and really disliking others. And Kat says, my feelings are so conflicted about this book. I don't know whether to immortalise it for all eternity in a frame on my wall or throw it into the fire. I'm probably going to just pop it back on the shelf. <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> it would be great if a review was that. It was alright. Now I'm going to pop it back on the shelf. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that's tickled me. <laughs> okay, right. Um, we've got one more uh, review to to read out. But Dave, before we go, mm. closing thoughts on the Night Circus. Sum it up for us. I think it's spectacularly well written and describes a world that you're probably going to enjoy spending a lot of time in. Uh, but the characters are going to infuriate you or you're going to find yourself able to ignore them um, and the plot probably just get really good at just accepting the drift good point and um, I think L Skelton who's our final reviewer sums up that uh, she, she 
she loves the the creating a new world. And I thought this is a good way to, uh, to to end the cast. She says, some books feel like more than books. Some books have jackets that may as well be false doors in the back of dusty old wardrobes, the way that they can instantly transport you to someplace magical. This is such a book. There it is. Actually, uh, before we finish, um, I'd just mm. like to give a shout out to um, Goggles Girl on Twitter, who tweeted us very kindly the other day. Um, mm. saying that she's actually um, she's in a production of Primordium playing Celia. So, oh. um, yes, yeah, so she's um, she's acting. Somebody presumably has adapted this, or adapted at least the first part of it, Primordium. Um, yeah. And she's, she's doing that. So I think that would be fantastic. Um, so uh, wherever you are and wherever you're doing that show, um, break a leg and have a fantastic time with it, because um, I, I would actually love to see that. I think you could have real fun with that in the theatre, because it is so theatrical. Yeah, um, Goggle, Goggles Girl. If you, if it's in England, let us know because I might come along and uh, and check that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do it, please. Um, the other cool thing, actually, I'd like to say is that they're um they're doing like a midnight dinner for some of the some of the people who are coming to the show. Um, oh, that's brilliant. I know, right? I don't know if they're doing that like before or afterwards, but either way, that's about the coolest thing I've ever heard. Like usually, oh, usually yeah. dinner theatre, not good theatre, right? But actually, when the dinner is the theatre, I think that's one of the coolest ideas I've ever heard. Yeah, break out your 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 black suit, white shirt, black tie, and a nice scarlet scarf, and get your yeah. ass down there. And a throwing knife. No, not yeah, a throwing knife. Throw Don't take a throwing knife. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, brilliant. Uh, so um, yeah, thanks so much for that to uh, to Goggles Girl as well. Oh, we did say as well that we were going to pick our favourite tent. That's oh yeah, yeah. Um, have you given it any thought? I have, and I think Which you're one? going to be angry with me because I think we may we may pick the same one. But uh-uh. for me, it was no contest. It was the one. It was the cloud tent where you could climb uh, up as high as you liked, and then when yeah. you couldn't, when you found a place where there was no route forwards, you just jumped off. And, yeah. and no matter how high up you were, you just sort of um, cradled and and uh, you know in these kind of soft, plump clouds and brought all the way down to the bottom. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. That's my favourite too. I yeah. think that speaks to our um, inner child. And, yeah, uh, absolutely. That... Which <laughs> we've been carefully have... hiding throughout this podcast. <laughs> yeah, if we could have any magical tent, it would would pick the one that most closely resembles uh, a children's play area. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, Dave. I think on that agreement, we can uh, we can quite happily shake hands and then turn to the gates of the night circus. Pull them closed. Click the uh, magical padlock into place. There's a magical padlock, Dave. Oh right, and uh, I, I read that. Hang up, hang up the sign saying "closed." Trespassers will be exsanguinated. Yeah, and uh, and until the next, let, I think it's time that we let go of the circus. It's going to be uh, difficult, but I'm ready yeah, for it. Yeah, and let other people enjoy. Just leave it in the capable hands of. Obviously, our favourite character, Bailey. And, you know, (laughs) it belongs to Bailey now. And he's welcome to it. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, sorry, did I break the tone? (laughs) That's brilliant, that's where it's ending. (laughs) 